Hi friends, this is Maria Mays, founder of Take 5, well-being coach and teacher, and you're listening to Chakras and Chardonnay, a well-being podcast for wine lovers, where we explore insights from ancient wisdom teachings to empower our health, to liberate ourselves from anxiety, and to more mindfully enjoy our wine and everything else we consume. Did I mention we have fun exploring different wines? (laughs) We do that too. And I am so, so grateful that you are here. Hey friends, it's Maria, and here we are, episode one of Chakras and Chardonnay. Thank you so much for tuning in. I figure what better thing to focus on on this first inaugural episode than the chakras. I mean, what the heck are they? Are they just cute graphics on a t-shirt? No, they're actually much more, so let's dive in. The first time I personally heard the word, I'm pretty sure my response was, shock, what? Now, that was 16 years ago. I was sitting in my then therapist's office, and quite frankly, I don't really know what she said, but a seed was planted in me. And fast forward to today, if I were to Google it, which I did recently, I get 120 plus million responses to the question, what are the chakras? Now, I like to keep things simple, so I simplified some of the definitions into one that worked for me. So here's my go at it. Chakras are energy centers that can empower you to move to a more well state of being in the human body. So let me ask you. Are you a well-being? If the answer wasn't a resounding yes, then keep listening. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of room for improvement in the well part of my being. So let's look into this more deeply. Now, it's actually pronounced chakras, but that is really hard for me to say, especially when I pair it with Chardonnay. So forgive me, I'm using a very westernized accent when I say chakras. But the term itself is a Sanskrit word. If you're not familiar with Sanskrit, it's a very old language originating in ancient India, and it's used for its vibrational quality of the words, almost more so than the actual meaning themselves. That'll come into play once we start talking about the mantras for each of the chakras um, down the road. But for now, just be aware that the meanings are rough translations in English. So chakra translates roughly to wheel. And probably more importantly, it indicates movement. And according to Harish Johari, an author on the topic, chakras are said to be the playgrounds of the elements. The elements are those building blocks of all psychophysical existence. I know, that's a big word. Um, If we break that down, psychophysical relates to the relationship between our internal or psychic and external physical worlds. So chakras introduce movement because they can transform that psychophysical energy into spiritual energy. And that's essentially why these ancient practitioners worked with them. It was all about moving themselves to higher levels of consciousness and spirituality. So we will talk more about the five elements later. From an Ayurvedic perspective, they are space, air, fire, water, and earth. And now's a great time for me to just 
lay some groundwork in that much of what you're going to receive on this podcast is rooted in the foundations of Ayurveda. So that's another Sanskrit term, and that translates to the science of life or the wisdom of life. And it's simply a consciousness-based approach to health. So it's grounded in belief that we are more than just these physical vessels, right? And these spinning monkey minds that we have. It's grounded in the belief that everything in the universe is a transformation of consciousness. So if we have that as our foundation, that consciousness is transforming itself into matter everywhere in the universe, then it makes sense that in some places that energy is going to be stronger than in others. And so if we look at that on the planet, we call it a vortex, right? The places like Sedona or the pyramids in Egypt, that one is on my bucket list, by the way. In the body, we call it a chakra. And sometimes it helps to have a visual. Maybe you've heard of visualizing spinning wheels of energy that run along the spine. So they run from the tailbone all the way up to the crown of the head. We'll talk more about that in the future. But for now, for a visual, I invite you to think of a pinwheel. Think of a beautiful, colorful pinwheel that when you blow on it, when you exhale, it spins, it moves. See, the same is true of our chakras. Going back to that psychophysical energy, that relationship between our internal world and external world, that energy works with the help of prana. It's another Sanskrit term. This one translates to life force or vital life force. And one way we pull prana into the body is through our breath, literally inhaling that life force and literally exhaling it out. Think about it. It's the first thing we do when we come into the world and the last thing we do when we leave it. Now, you can't see your breath, right? I mean, maybe on a cold day, you can see the exhale. But as you inhale, even though you can't see it, you know it's there. And the same is true of the chakras. If you dissect a body, you're not going to find round spinning balls of energy in there. I mean, that would probably freak you out if you did. But that's because the body exists at two levels. We have the physical body. That's the one we're all very aware of. We know it. We feed it. We clothe it. We bathe it. Hopefully bathed it today. But there's this other more subtle body, literally referred to as the subtle body. And that's where our energy field is, surrounding the physical body. So another word you might have heard of it would be aura. Our chakras exist there. And that prana, that vital life force, moves through the body via these channels called nadis. Again, we'll talk more about this in future episodes, but for now, just think about it as a transportation system for your energy. And the key component is that prana influences and helps it move, just like blowing in a pinwheel. We can use our breath to really ignite and activate our chakras. So now that we know what they are, let's talk about why we might want to keep them in balance. To do that, I want you to visualize the last time you felt fully vibrant, just awake with possibility, fully energized, ready to seize the day, just embodying joy. That, my friend, is how it feels when your energy is flowing freely through the chakras. Man, do I wish I was like that every day of my life. But the reality is we live in a crazy, chaotic world full of stresses. And so what happens is our energy itself can become constricted or stuck. 
And when that happens, that's when we start to experience the physical or emotional symptoms of imbalance or disease. So one of the most important pieces of this episode is this statement right here. And that is everything that happens in the physical body first happens in the subtle body. So doesn't it make sense that we might want to keep it healthy, balanced, and bright and keep that energy flowing freely like spinning pinwheels? Another interesting piece is that our karma is stored in our chakras. Now that's a Sanskrit term you're probably familiar with. Everybody knows karma, right? But in this case, we're looking at it as manifesting as our memories and desires. And the thing is, they tend to clog our chakras, just distorting the flow of consciousness and then just causing disharmony in our life. We'll talk all about karma in a future episode. But here's the thing. Cultivating a dialogue between your thinking mind and your physical body and the chakras in your subtle body is key to taking your power back over your health. And science today is validating all this ancient Ayurvedic wisdom. You have much more power than you realize. Hopefully I've convinced you that getting to know and love these chakras is a good thing and that they are more than just cool looking rainbow graphics on t-shirts. So let's wrap this up with a bit about balancing them. Now, anywhere you look these days, you're going to see information about balancing these chakras. And maybe it's a potion, maybe it's a product, etc. I'm going to encourage you to look at this from the perspective of insourcing your health rather than outsourcing it. I don't have a magic pill to prescribe you, but I do have this simple thing that you can put into action today to increase the energy in your chakras. I want you to notice in this moment where your shoulders are at. Are they rounded forward? What about your chin? Is it jutted forward? Is your head tilted slightly? Is it? Let's straighten it up, Sam. From the tailbone to the crown of the head, I want you to get as much length as possible. Just stretch out that whole spine. Now take a deep, full breath in. And as you exhale out, imagine you're blowing a pinwheel. Can it really be that simple? I'm here to tell you that it can. Simple changes that we make can have huge impacts. When you're slouching, you're compressing not only your physical vertebrae, but the ability for your energy to flow freely through the chakras and even for your diaphragm to move and do its job. Think about the additional real estate you just offered, not only your physical body, but your energy body. So that's your takeaway for today. Straighten it up and let the energy flow more freely. Okay, friends, the sound of that bell means it's time to transition this talk into one about wine. So let's start with some expectations since it's the first episode. I'm not a sommelier, so we're not going to go super deep diving into the history or into specifics on a particular varietal. But what we will do is just explore some fun facts, some tips I've learned from my years of educating in a boutique tasting room, and from the many winemakers I've had the privilege of learning under. So also from just reading and researching, because I love this stuff. So let's start with Chardonnay. Why? Because, well, it's the Chakras and Chardonnay podcast, and it's likely one of the first wines I ever tried. 
That is, of course, if you don't count the wine my grandmother served me when I was about eight or nine years old in an aluminum cup paired with a sugar cookie, homemade wine from her garden in Minnesota, nor do we include the Mr. Bartles and Mr. James experience from my adolescence. That's for another episode. Let's talk about my exploration with Chardonnay, which started in my early 20s. So it was right when I was recruited out of college to my first corporate, you know, Fortune 500 gig. And everybody was like 20 to 40 years older than me, and they were all drinking Chardonnay. So in order to fit in and numb my anxiety about it all, I drank Chardonnay too quite a lot of it. In fact, over that next decade, I consumed just way too much of it. We'll talk more about my journey and how I went from self-medicating my anxiety with alcohol to meditating and now being able to truly enjoy a mindful relationship with it in the next episode. But for now, let's focus on this grape called Chardonnay. Did you know that Chardonnay is the most widely planted white grape in the world. It went from like 4,000 acres planted in the 80s to now over half a million. That is a lot of Chardonnay grapes. It originated in the Burgundy region in France and is said to be a result from a cross between Pinot Noir and Gué Blanc. And there's a theory that Marcus Aurelius Probus brought the grape from his home region into Burgundy. So I don't know if that's true, but research it and see what you find out on that. I'm in California, and in California, it's Wente, Ernest Wente, who's credited with taking a cutting from France and then planting it in the Livermore Valley and isolating it and then developing a clone that was hardy enough to thrive in this crazy California sun. Wente still makes a great Chardonnay, and they're about two hours northwest of me. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, California, I highly recommend checking them out. The property is beautiful. There's great history, as we just talked about, and they have a good restaurant on site, too. The last fun fact for your next uh, dinner party is that Chardonnay actually put California on the wine map in that In the year of my birth, there was a competition in Paris, and uh, Napa Chardonnay beat out the French wines. So the rest, as they say, is history. And the thing I love about Chardonnay now is just its versatility. It's the major grape in Champagne and other sparkling wines, and I love me some bubbly. So we've got an episode coming up soon that highlights bubbles, but it can... Also be clean and crisp, especially if it's fermented and stainless. And then you have that dark, oaky, buttery option from Sonoma and some of the other wine-growing regions. So my tips for you is that if you like your white wines real rich and fuller-bodied, then go for an oak Chardonnay. There's usually something that indicates that on its label, and the color is going to be deeper. If you like lighter wines, if you like a more citrusy and floral, then go for an unoaked option. Here's a few that I've enjoyed recently that I'd certainly recommend. We're going to start with the Trefethen, which is an Estate Chardonnay 2020. So this comes from the Napa Valley, and it's 
in the Oak Knoll region, if you've ever been up there. Beautiful. I used to have um, a client when I was in the ag tech world up there and just, oh my goodness, some of these uh, vineyards are just stunning. Anyway, it's really bright and crisp and has oh, like a lemon cream pie to it. So I discovered this one when I was out on a date night with my husband and we found it at a restaurant and since then I've been enjoying it. Next recommendation I have is for a 2020 Nest Chardonnay. Now this is from Napa and this is actually from the Scout and Cellar line of wines which are known for being clean crafted. We'll talk more about that in another episode but this one has just that perfect bit of creamy butteriness and toastiness but also has that clean crisp piece to it and I got a lot of baked apple in it which I love. And lastly, I want to highlight Bouillant 2018 Chardonnay. Now this is done by winemaker Ken Post, who I've had the privilege to learn under. Ken used grapes from Santa Lucia Highlands, which is in Monterey County. Not as many tasting rooms over in Monterey County, but man, do they have some gorgeous vineyards. Lots of Pinot and Chardonnay grapes are grown there. So Ken fermented this in oak barrels for about nine months and also did what's called a malolactic fermentation process. And that's where they add bacteria to convert the tart malic acid into a creamier lactic acid. So that's what gives Chardonnay the butteriness. For me, this one's just super balanced. It's kind of the in-between of both worlds. It's got the pear and the citrus, but then it also has a soft caramel apple finish key piece for me in exploring my wines mindfully is what I'm pairing with it food-wise. And so in future episodes, we'll go into more depth on food pairings. We'll look at the sixth taste of Ayurveda and how I incorporate those into my wine and food pairings. For now, I'm going to leave you with this. There is a beautiful salmon recipe in the show notes. That's one of my favorite things to pair with Chardonnay. In terms of snacks, pairing it with hard cheeses, or really good hummus and some veggies is fun too. In future episodes, we'll also take a fun look at pairing each of the chakras with a particular wine, but we have to learn more about these chakras first. That's a wrap on the wine portion of episode one. The wines I mentioned will be in the show notes as well as that salmon recipe. I'd love for you to stick with me so that I can guide you through a relaxation. Okay, friends, if you're driving, please keep your eyes open. But if not, I encourage you to close your eyes for this next part. If you're standing, grab a seat and let's just bring our awareness to our feet. And so whether your feet are in shoes or they're bare, whether you're touching the floor in your home or office, or maybe the floorboard in a car, I want you to just for now, imagine that that surface that they're on just dissolves so that your feet are bare and those bare feet are in contact with the top of the earth's soil. Just for now, imagine what that would feel like. What's the texture like? What's the temperature like? And what if we could go deeper from that topsoil into deeper layers of the soil? What if we could travel further down? What would that feel like? 
So just in this moment, let's allow that energy, that grounding sensation of a deeply structured, stable, and dense foundation to just radiate up through the different layers of soil up to the bottoms of the feet. You just feel all your toes and the sole of the feet. And then feel that energy come up the legs, to the knees, all the way up to the hips. And then that space in between that, those hips. From tailbone to the center of the back, let's see if we can lengthen a little bit. So all the way up towards the sternum or the center of the chest just growing longer and taller, allowing each vertebrae to have more space in between it and the next one, allowing those discs the ability to just have more real estate to expand. And keep that awareness going up the spine now, lengthening through the cervical spine. So allow that neck to get more elongated, reaching the crown of the head up towards the sky or towards the ceiling. Just notice how it feels to be so upright. And notice if your shoulders can drop a little bit onto the back. Now I invite you to just bring your awareness to your breath. And on your next inhale, shrug those shoulders up towards the ears. And then as you exhale, gently roll and release those shoulders down onto the back. Notice how that felt. Are you carrying some weight on your shoulders? Let's try to release a little bit of that weight. Let's inhale, taking the shoulders up towards the ears. And exhale, just releasing that weight you're carrying. Let's do that a few more times. Inhale, allowing the shoulders to rise up, getting length in the spine. And as you exhale, just releasing worry and doubt just for now. And one more like that. Shoulders rise up towards the ears. And as you exhale, roll them back and just release the tension. Now allow that awareness to drift to the center of the chest, what we would refer to as the heart center. And we're gonna just allow the breath to get a little slower and a little deeper. So we're gonna take an inhale through the nose and an exhale through either the nose or the mouth. Nothing to do in this moment, nothing to achieve or perform or perfect. We're just breathing, inhaling and exhaling. Inhaling and exhaling. I'm just continuing like that with a deeper than normal, slower than normal breath cycle. And just allow yourself to be reminded that this foundation that the earth provides for you is always there offering you stability, support, and safety. Just remember your wholeness in this moment. You're enough.
just as you are. One more breath together, inhaling and exhaling. Now bringing your awareness back to the physical sensations of the body, maybe rubbing your fingers together and gently opening your eyes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Chakras and Chardonnay. I hope you enjoyed that guided relaxation at the end. If you'd like to work with me directly or bring experiences like that one to your workplace, please reach out to me via email. It'll be in the show notes as well as my website and the links I mentioned during today's episode. It'd be such a gift if you could hit that follow button and take the time to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again. And until next time, cheers. And here's to keeping it mindful.